do. Swinging a long fly ball. Deep left field. Back and gone. Number 61 for Aaron Judge. He matches Maris. The ultimate Bronx bomber. Good afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That was Ben Wagner on the call last night on the Sportsnet Radio Network. As Aaron Judge ties an American League record, ties a New York Yankees record with his 61st home run of the season. Couple games left to go for him to break that, for him to pad it a little more, for him to move up that all-time single-season leaderboard. My brain is broken because every time I hear Maris said without Roger in front of it, my brain goes to Frazier, Niles' wife. Uh, that is a real issue that my brain is in that kind of shape. Luckily, we're loaded with guests today. Great job by producer JR and Derek, too. I mean, Derek's back there. He's got sweet chili heat in there. I'm going to uh, I'm going to nab some at a break, but uh, we're loaded with guests today. We're going to talk to Arden Zwelling in a minute here. Uh, we've also got Emily Savard coming on. She's a production coordinator on Blue Jays Central. So we'll get a little behind the scenes look there. Uh, and that job also affords her some pretty good spots to watch games from. Uh, we got our pal Dan Zaborski from Fangraphs coming on. And then we'll cap it off with Jelani Morgan, who we brought on at the very first week of Jays Talk Plus to talk about his um, Black Jays project, fo- photographing um, the players of color for the Blue Jays, the fans of color around the team, um, and that element that has been underrepresented in the community around the team in the past, at least in media, over at West End Phoenix. And Jelani, not as part of that project, but just because he's there and he's a terrific photographer, got an unbelievable couple of photos of Aaron Judge's 61st last night. So we'll talk to him as well. Unfortunately, uh, as great as JR is in his production role, uh, no Frankie Lasagna on the show today. No getting to further further the 15 minutes of, uh, I guess, not fame of infamy for, for dropping the Aaron Judge ball or not catching it, if you prefer. Some people have said, oh, he didn't drop it. Uh, He just couldn't get a hand on it. Okay. I would have front flipped over trying to reach. Uh, I was like two sections over. Um, Yeah, it's a tough one. Tough game, too, for the Blue Jays. So on top of the Aaron Judge number 61, um, a couple of errors. Jackie Bradley Jr. had one. Adam Simber had a a comical one that he uh, compounded by failing to cover home plate after he threw it away. Um, Mitch White had a really rough first inning, then managed to at least settle down a little bit. And the Jays only scored three runs. They barely threatened throughout the game. Um, There was a Danny Jansen home run, but not much else. Another thing that we'll watch throughout the show, and I mean literally for me, it's on in front of me, the Baltimore Orioles and Boston Red Sox are in action right now. It's 2-2 in the top of the fifth. If... The Red Sox in their, I don't have jersey takes very often. This yellow jersey the Red Sox wear is awful. Savannah Bananas cosplay jersey 
It's bad. Uh, anyway, if Boston were to win this game, the Toronto Blue Jays would clinch a playoff spot. It's a bit of an interesting one since uh, they're not playing. They can't celebrate. And it's always a little weird when you clinch something not by your own accord. Let's see how Arden Zwelling feels about it. Uh, he was on the radio call last night with Ben Wagner for Aaron Judges 61st. You know him from Sportsnet and at the letters. Arden, how's it going, buddy? Hey, Blake. What's happening, dude? Uh, not much, man. Just watching this Orioles-Red Sox game, wondering if the Jays will clinch uh, during the show today without even playing. Uh, before we get into that, though, Aaron Judge last night hits number 61. Um, you were there you were on the radio call with Ben Wagner. Um, you as a as a baseball fan and someone who's covered this sport for a while now, how cool was that for you to to get to be there and get to see that in person? Yeah, you don't see that every day, right? That was you a, see it once every one. like 22 years or so <laughs> on average. Maybe. Yeah, maybe like a couple times in the history of the league. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, look, I, I just marvel at like, Aaron Judge's season um, and just who he is as an athlete and as a competitor. Like, you know me pretty well. I don't really care what laundry the guy's wearing or, like, what kind of records the guy's tracking down or anything like that. Like, I really respect the day-to-day competitiveness and the, like, just insane, almost robotic grind with which Aaron Judge sort of uh, approaches his job. Um, he's a physical specimen, obviously, and to look at like the games played for this guy at 151, approaching 700 plate appearances as a six foot seven, what 285 pounds, probably even more athlete, pretty incredible that he has like put up with that kind of toll and done all of the things that are required to be as productive as he is and as consistent as he is um, day after day over a seven-month span. And then you think about the mental toll as well that this guy has withstood this year doing what he's doing as a Yankee in New York with, and you were down there, like, you know, this guy could not turn around at Rogers Center over the last three days without, like, 15 people shoving cameras in his faces and three to four PR people, you know, hurting folks around and social media people with their phones in his face and still photographers and all the hangers-on and all the media, all the attention. You think about it, every time he steps to the plate, there is so much attention on everything that he is doing, not just across the baseball world, but across the sports world. When you've got ESPN talking about doing cutaways in a Dallas Cowboys game on a Monday night, (laughs) to watch Aaron Judge plate appearances. Are you kidding me? That level of scrutiny and that level of pressure and attention is something that like, I will never be able to relate to what it's like having to perform at the level that he is with all of that. So I really do just revel at just his, who he is as an athlete, both physically and mentally, who he is as a competitor. It's really one of the most impressive things I think that I've seen what he's this year. I'm glad you mentioned the the workload because it is incredible. It's not like he he was the designated hitter yesterday, but it's not like he's in the DH slot often. He's in center field. He's in right field. He's a good base runner on, on top of everything else. And you mentioned the size he's doing that at. Uh, I remember a couple years ago, there was like um, the, the Yankees had like a WWE night and there were some wrestlers out there. And there are two wrestlers. There's a photo of him with two wrestlers 
who are like one guy is billed as like 385 pounds and the other guys build as seven feet tall and you line the three of them up and Aaron judge is the same size as the two of them. Like (laughs) obviously that, that exposes that wrestling's lying about the heights and weights a little bit, but also like this guy is the size of a a cartoon monster basically. And is still this remarkable athlete could probably be the best tight end in the NFL. Had he gone down that route? Um, You know, he's the size of a lot of power forwards in the NBA and he's out there running balls down in center field on top of everything else. So, um, you know, I was going to ask you what was most impressive to you about his season. I I think you just laid it out there. So let me focus in on the plate appearance that got him number 61. Obviously, he is a guy with elite plate discipline, elite knowledge and understanding of not only the strike zone, but of where his power comes from. And that's part of why the Jays walked him a million times in that series is he just won't swing at a bad pitch. That Tim Mesa plate appearance, eight sinkers before Judge finally gets Mesa to hang one a little bit. Um, what did you see from, from Judge in that plate appearance, and how fitting is it to you that number 61 comes on one where, yeah, Mesa had to go to the absolute extreme to, to try to get him, and, and Judge still won that battle? Yeah, I saw just the unbelievable like metal and composure uh, that we've seen from Aaron Judge throughout. Like, think about it. He had 15 plate appearances in this series against the Blue Jays. He saw 75 pitches. <laughs> like, like, that's five pitches per plate appearance over the course of this series. Like, it's unbelievable. The, the league um, leader, by the way, is at 4.3 pitches per plate appearance. So that's that's where that's at to do that over a whole series. Yeah, I know. And I know, like, I get it. I understand the audience that we're speaking to right now, right? Like, nobody wants to hear us here talk about how great, you know, Aaron Judge is. But I truly am just blown away <laughs> by just seeing it up close and seeing what he was able to do in this series with all the attention and everything that was going on. Honestly, I was just stupefied by it. 75 pitches over, over 15 plate appearances. And, like, think about earlier in Aaron Judge's career when he would expand down and away when you could get him out with that breaking stuff down and away. He's clearly made the adjustment because that's what the Blue Jays were attacking him with throughout this three-game series. Soft down, off-speed down, breaking stuff down and away. And Aaron Judge wasn't expanding. I mean, he did, like, come out of his approach maybe twice, maybe three times. We're talking about, like, specific pitches that he came out of it against over a 75-pitch sample, which is really elite as well. But for the most part, like, he stayed composed he was not pressing he was within his approach um and and this is Aaron Judge by the way who gets like an egregiously unfair strike zone because of how tall he is there's pitches at his shins that are called strikes just because umpires are just not accustomed to (laughs) judging balls and strikes against somebody who's six foot seven so he has one of the you know one of the largest strike zones in baseball and he's able to manage it so so well as it pertains to Tim Mesa, I think he was just like, look, if I'm going to get beat, I'm going to get beat on my best pitch. I'm going to get beat on, on the pitch that I know I can locate. I saw Danny Jansen call for a slider in that plate appearance, and Tim Mesa shook him off. So Tim Mesa wanted to throw his sinker. You look at the season-long trends, Tim Mesa has been incredibly sinker-heavy. It's clearly the pitch that he feels most confident with. It wasn't a great matchup for him, obviously, as a lefty pitcher against the not only like the best pitcher or the best hitter on the planet, but a very powerful right-handed hitter as well. And as you get deeper into that plate appearance, and Aaron Judge has seen the sinker five, six, seven times. He's fouled some off, and he has a good idea of how it behaves on its way to the plate and what it looks like and its shape and what he has to do with his swing 
to connect and 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 you know get get a good barrel on it. Uh, the advantage obviously slants in Aaron Judge's favor. So look, Aaron Judge had to earn it, right? It wasn't yeah. like you know first pitch hung slider cookie. It was the eighth pitch of a plate appearance. He had to make an adjustment and he had to do something differently with his swing in order to hit that ball out. So full credit to him and and nothing against Tim Mazza, who I think did everything he could in that plate appearance. Yeah, it's it's almost uh, not ironic, but it's a little funny that, you know, you look at Mitch White's game from last night and the, the issues that he's had on the year and it's he tends to be the, well, once I get two strikes, I, I don't know if it's a confidence thing or a conviction thing, but he, he hangs a lot of pitches with two strikes, and he actually got through three Aaron Judge plate appearances, uh, and then, uh, you know, Mesa has that great a one. Uh, let's pivot a little bit to something Jays fans might care about a little bit more with, um, you know, the ability to sustain interest here. Arden, you have friends, you have buddies, you you... I'm sure have relationships where some friend did something dumb in the past and you have just never let him or her live it down. The guys who couldn't get a hold of that ball last night ever, ever, ever in the, the history, like the remaining span of that guy's friendships, they will never live that down. Right. Yeah. Those guys need to just throw their phones in the lake, right? <laughs> like you just, you take turn off the phone. You don't look at it. You don't go on social media. You get in your car, you drive north for a few hours, and you find a little cabin away from, you know, internet and cell phone access off the grid, and you just let it blow over, man. You just <laughs> let it blow over, and you come back to civilization in a few days. Or, and uh, unfortunately, this may be the direction that, you know, some of them go in. You lean into it, and you're on, like, every show for the next 24 to 36 hours, and you're trying to make a name for yourself. And that might be what happens. Yeah, it it may be, and I don't know. I don't know if I would want to. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, I would want to be known for that. But I guess it, it's better than no attention. I don't know. Um, so not in my perspective. I, I'd take the no attention gladly. But yes. Some people will take any attention that they can get. Yeah, I would take the no attention as well. Um, a weird bit of attention. That I'm paying right now, um, and I say weird just because of the the timing of this, I've got the Red Sox-Orioles game on right now, Arden. And okay. if the Orioles were to lose this game, the Toronto Blue Jays will clinch a playoff spot while they're not playing on their last off day of the year. Um, what are the Jays doing right now? Is there a watch party going on? Are, are they going to, to celebrate in any way at all? Um, this is a, a little bit of an awkward spot if the Orioles drop this one. Yeah, this was just based off of um, conversations pre-game yesterday, so things could have changed. My understanding was there might be some sort of informal gatherings, but not one big sort of sanctioned formal one. That could have changed after the game yesterday. I'm not sure, but I, look, it's the last off day of the season. You're asking a lot if yeah. you're taking the last off day away from these guys at the end of a six-month regular season plus the six weeks of spring training before that, or I guess spring training was a bit shorter this year, but the, the point stands. It's been a grind. So you let guys have their off days and choose what they want to do with their final off day before the, the postseason. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure like what, what's going on right now celebration-wise. I imagine they'll, if the, uh, if the Orioles lose today, I imagine they'll do something after the game tomorrow. Um, we are losers! tonight! Yeah, yeah, I was there for that. Um, I don't. I then, could not make that out. Like, I, I don't know if that was too loud or, or just caught me off guard or whatever. But who's party tonight? 
Oh, the Bush Party one. Okay. Gotcha. No, that's Kawasaki. Yeah, that's Kawasaki. Uh, yeah. Um, the day, so tomorrow, if the Orioles lose here on Thursday, uh, then it's pretty elementary. You know, mm-hmm. you just go back to being able to celebrate after the game. But if the Orioles win, I think they'll probably do something after Friday's game, win or loss. And maybe after after a loss, it'd be a little bit more muted. But I think they will do a clubhouse celebration on Friday, just because like they you, you celebrate something like this. I'm not speaking to the choir, but like you you win this marathon or you finish within the top 12 of the 30 marathon runners, uh, you celebrate that. You know, it's a grind, it's an accomplishment, it's hard to do. You have to be a really good baseball team to do it. You go through so much. Um, interpersonally over the six months as, as a collective and, and as a team. Um, it's something we're celebrating, and I know that you know not only the players but the coaching staff feels really strongly that you need to celebrate this, you need to blow off some steam, and you need to um, just acknowledge the accomplishment. So I think that something will happen on Friday. Well, here's a, the other thing, too, is say the Orioles lose today, the Jays win tomorrow, um, and, you know, the Rays lose along that path as well. Maybe you're not, uh, well, mathematically, you won't be able to celebrate um, clinching home field, but we know that that's where the goal pivots to pretty quickly here. Um, do you, like, obviously, I, I think when we say celebrate, I, I don't think, you know, we're talking that, like, that game in, I think it was 2015, it might have been 2016, where everyone in the dugout looked dead um, and hoods were up and pulled really tight and guys had the shakes and stuff. I don't think it'll be that level of celebration because I think Arden um, and you would know even better. There's got to be a sense of urgency this weekend as well, because home field is the goal from here. And ideally you have that locked up before the final game or two next week. Yeah, and you know, you're professional athletes. You have access to IVs and like all kinds of cool little potions. Um, I've, I've had one of the sort of electrolyte mixed drink things at one point. That do, the do they offer the IVs in the media rooms? Because I might have to come to a few more games as media. <laughs> no, I had it with. Uh, I was tagging along with the rugby team at one point, and I had it with them. And it was. It's honestly, it does bring you back from the from the bridge. So they have some good stuff on, on hand to help guys out. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, home field advantage, it really has been the goal for, I don't know, a week and a half now, right? Ever since the division was out of reach. And it's been pretty clear the Blue Jays are going to be a postseason team for a while now. Like, now it's all it's essentially as close to certainty as it can be. Uh, but for a while, the Blue Jays had a pretty good idea that they are going to be playing in a wild card series. So they've been trying to clinch that home field advantage. And, man, Seattle is, like, giving them a lot of help in that regard but you know as the schedule makers keep you know handing them platters of cupcakes and they refuse <laughs> to eat the cupcakes and uh, at the end of the day it's been scuffling a little bit too four and six in the last 10 so the blue jays aren't playing the best baseball right now but they don't have to they sit in the driver's seat and the teams behind them aren't really doing anything to force the issue so i think the most the, the, the likeliest outcome right now is that the blue jays host that host that wild card series just because something is the likeliest thing to happen doesn't mean that it will happen but the, the odds are in the Blue Jays' favor right now, for sure. Yeah, a lot of noise over a, a six- or seven-game stretch, but um, certainly leaning that way. They don't have the tiebreaker over either of those teams, but they do have a game-and-a-half cushion on Tampa, two-game cushion on uh, Seattle. So so they're in control of, of their own destiny, so to speak. Um, Arden, aside from home field advantage, over these last six games from the Blue Jays, what are you 
focused on the most. Whether that's, you know, Lourdes Gurriel and Santiago Espinal, whether that's getting some of those bench guys who haven't played in forever some time, um, you know, wherever you want to go with it, what are you most looking for beyond the wins and losses these last six? I'll be looking at the rotation out of the off day, first and foremost, because that'll be a huge tell as to how the Blue Jays are lining things up. Um, I know a lot of us had Alec Manoa sort of penciled in for that Friday start against the Red Sox tomorrow. Um, right now, I'm sort of wondering if he actually starts Saturday. We'll see. We'll find out tomorrow. But he is listed as of- the probable right now in their game notes. They, they actually uh, provided that ahead of time, which is unusual for them. That is unusual for them. They're usually a bit more covert. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I'm kind of wondering if they go stripling Manoa Barrios in the Red Sox series. I don't know if that's what you had down as well. But I mean, I, I might do. they have Manoa stripling Gosman listed. So just like the straight yeah. order that they were in before, that would keep Manoa online for 162 if they do need to do that. Um, and then Gosman obviously would be um, on normal rest for game one of the wild card series. Um, but yeah, I was, a, I was a little surprised just to see it up at all, because I thought this was one where, you know, we wouldn't find out until tomorrow when you guys get to the park, uh, who was starting. Yeah. Yeah. And look, they could still adjust it. Um, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm wondering if they go stripping Manoa Barrios and if the Manoa game one sixty two ship is kind of sailed, I'm not sure that's really in the cards now as much as it was, um, even a week and a half ago, and even at that point when we all you know, spent hours upon hours talking about how John Schneider said he would start out Manoa in Game 162, I think what he meant and what he had intended to communicate is that is something that we would do, not something that we will do. Um, that was one of the options, uh, and I, I really don't think that's the way the Blue Jays are leaning right now. I think we'll see. They, I think there's a possibility that they start Manoa on Saturday and give him the five days rest prior to game one of the wild card. And then in game two, things could get interesting of that wild card series. Cause you could go Gosman on just regular rest, or if you win game one, you could roll the dice and you could go with whether it's going to be Barrios, whether it's going to be stripling, whether it's going to be some sort of like a bullpen day. I mean, Trevor Richards opening for somebody or something like that, depending on your opponent, you could roll the dice and try to win that game too with a more creative configuration and save Gosman for game three if you have to play game three. And if you don't have to play game three, great. Now Gosman's lined up game one for the DS, which is like ideal because then you get him multiple times in the DS. So I, I'm, I'm just, I got my eye on that as something that might play out. So that's one thing I'm looking at. And then, yeah, you mentioned Espinal and Lourdes. I think Lourdes has a good shot at getting back to the wild card series. Espinal, I'm starting to think more realistic. He's back for the DS. I'm okay. not so sure Espinal's going to be available for the wildcard series. We'll see. You can make a very speedy recovery, but as things stand right now, I think Espinal's more realistic for the DS, which would open a spot on the wildcard roster for someone like Gabriel Moreno, which would give John Schneider more flexibility in using both Jansen and Kirk in the lineup at the same time. Um, and even late in games with some of the pinch running, pinch hitting stuff that, that he could do. And look, Moreno's been taking a ton of ground balls on the infield, hmm. something that could play out. 
depending on roster configurations. So those are some of the things I'll be looking at this weekend. Man, that's uh, the idea of we finally see Gabriel Moreno at an infield position and it's in a playoff spot because, you know, you're in the 12th inning and you've pinch hit and pinch run a bunch of times and you're out of guys is uh, is an amusing one. Um, Arden, I just, sorry, I, I know I'm taking you long here, but I, I wanted to follow sure. up on one thing you mentioned about Gosman and how you'd line up that wild card series. And, and I get what you're saying. I see the logic, of course. And if you can sweep, then you get two days off and you can start that series with Gosman, uh, the next series rather. Um, I have I have two concerns with that. My first one is if things go poorly in game two, your bullpen is then in pretty bad shape for game three. But the other one is, and, and this is something I wanted to ask you or, or Ben or someone close to these guys about, um, I know some pitchers are like very meticulous about their between starts or the day before a start or something like that. Is Gosman in terms of prep and personality, a guy who would be okay going into that weekend and you tell him, hey, maybe you're starting Saturday, but maybe you're starting Sunday? Like, is that something he could adjust to? Because um, I, I imagine that wouldn't be the case for every pitcher. Yeah, I think Austin would be fine with that if you shared the plan with him ahead of time. Honestly, his biggest between starts routine is finger care uh, and <laughs> taking care of his blisters that develop from the throwing the, the splitter. Right, like that's the reason why he does not throw a splitter in bullpens because it just causes a blister. And he's got like an entire routine in terms of like lasering his fingers and applying different like topical creams and things and adhesives to his nail, which is like always cracking from throwing that splitter. So that would probably be his biggest adjustment is just like how he kind of figures out his finger care routine. So his fingers are feeling well enough. His blister is like sorted out enough to throw a splitter effectively. But I think if you shared that with him early enough, he would go. And I mean, it was Kevin Gosman. He took like, I forget the exit velo on the liner that hit his ankle, but it was not soft. And he <laughs> took that ball off his ankle and was like, yeah, no, I want to like keep pitching and pitch tomorrow and pitch every day for the rest of the week. Right. Like they you know, had to hold him back uh, from, he never went on the IL with that. Remember, right. right? Like it was, you know, a day to day thing of him pushing the issue to pitch. So I'm pretty sure Kevin Gosman would be okay with that as long as you shared the plan with him and he was able to make the, the appropriate adjustments. Well, there you go. The most important Toronto Blue Jays person in the wildcard series, uh, Kevin Gosman's manicurist or, or whatever you call the person <laughs> who helps him manage his hands. Uh, Arden Zwelling, uh, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Really looking forward to talking to you again ahead of uh, a playoff series. We'll know who they're playing next time I talk to you, I think. So uh, we can go even deeper on that. Thanks, buddy. Sounds good, Blake. Take it easy. Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet.ca, of the At The Letters podcast, of the Sportsnet Radio Network broadcast of Aaron Judge's 61st home run. Uh, he was on the call with Ben Wagner last night. Again, we're going to touch on that a, a couple more times over the course of the show. I know it's a it's a Jays show, Yankees, etc. He hit 61 home runs that he did against the Blue Jays. It's a pretty big deal. I was down at the game, um, not far from where the home run got hit, and I was sitting next to um, an older couple from Montana who, um, throughout their marriage, they have gone to a whole bunch of different ballparks, and they make it uh, a regular trip. Um, they had actually gone from Montana across the border into BC and then taken the train all the way to Toronto from there uh, for this series. So cool to sit with them for that game and, and get to, um, you know, get they got that that moment, number 61, that they came all the way out here for. Um, yeah, it was fun. Met a couple listeners last night too. So shout out to the those people. 
uh, actually over the course of the series. It was a fun one. A lot of people down there. That's what happens when you got, you know, 35, 40,000 out at Rogers Center. And we're a couple days here from having 45,000 out there if uh, if the Jays host a wild card series. Boston and Baltimore are still tied at two, by the way. It's the bottom of the sixth. We'll keep you updated on that one over the course of the show. Right now, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Emily Savard, uh, one of the key pieces behind the scenes for Blue Jays Central. Also, a huge baseball fan and a digital creator in her own right. So we'll see how she's feeling about where the Jays stand right there. And few people know the Rogers Center atmosphere as well as Emily. So she's next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Starting Monday, be sure to tune into the J.D. Bunkus podcast weekday mornings at 9 on Sportsnet 590 The Fan or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay's back in action tomorrow. Big, big hustle play from Tristan Cassis just there. Beats out an infield single as the Red Sox try to punch the Jays ticket to the playoffs. If the Orioles lose this one, the Jays are in. And yeah, infield singles. There you go. It's a close one. The bigger thing than just clinching a playoff berth, which we've assumed was very, very likely for a couple weeks now, the Jays are playing for home field. There are a lot of reasons to want home field, but one of the biggest ones is the atmosphere down at the Rogers Center. Uh, No one knows that atmosphere better than our next guest. She's a production coordinator at Blue Jays Central, also the host of the My POV podcast and a digital creator, uh, Emily Savard. How excited are you that we're so close to playoff baseball? I am so stoked. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Before we get into Blue Jays stuff, I got to ask you, I know you're, you know, you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter, you know how social media works. Will the people who failed to catch Aaron Judge's 61st home run ever, ever, ever live that clip down? I don't know. I honestly felt so bad, genuinely bad, just watching that happen last night because it was so close. But I think over time they'll live it down. I think whoever catches the 62nd will, um, or whoever maybe doesn't in this case, that would be a bigger loss, I think. Um, And people will forget about the 61 after he breaks the record, I think. If I were that guy's friend, though, I'm never letting it down. Anytime anything happens, I'm just sending that clip over and over again. Uh, The one other take from social media about it was uh, Matt Bushman's wife threatening to divorce him because he just gave the ball away. Um, I guess let's let's play out the scenario where someone does catch it and and tries to do the like nice guy thing of giving the ball back. Um, I don't know. How mad would you be if, if... you you lost out on $2 million or whatever the price is uh, because your partner or, or husband or wife or whatever is uh, uh, just too nice a person. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd be mad, but it's like kind of the same thing as Jays fans kind of being mad about uh, Judge hitting the home run last night um, at home. Like, I think you have to look at it from a completely different perspective is like, this is a huge accomplishment. So I would be like, I'd be, like, mad about it, but I wouldn't be, like, super salty. It's, like, a huge accomplishment for him. So, if he wants the ball back in the day, you got to do it. Come on. 
Yeah, I'm with you. And I had set up the series thinking, hey, I'd love to see two Aaron Judge home runs in Blue Jays victories. And I thought Monday night's game was like pretty perfect where the crowd was into the Aaron Judge stuff, but the Jays get a walk off Uh, the next two games after that. um, Not as good. Let's talk about what your role is down at Rogers Center, though. And for people who don't know what a production coordinator does or or how you got into this role as part of Blue Jays Central, um, you know, I know people don't get to see you on camera during the broadcast, but you're a pretty big part of the the television side of things for the Jays. Yeah, so I think my role as production coordinator really stems all the way back to my university days. And we're going to take a little trip down memory lane here just to get some context of how I landed the job as production coordinator um, on Blue Jays Central. So basically in university, I was at Ryerson for sport media at the time, and we all received emails saying that the Toronto Blue Jays dance and promotions team, the J-Force, was looking to hire for their 2016 season. And growing up dancing competitively, not well, I might add, (laughs) I would say quite mediocre. Um, I was like, you know what, this looks fun. Let's try it out. I went with two of my girlfriends to the audition and it was intense. It was like some like four rounds of cuts kind of thing of like three dances of choreography. You had to sell a product basically to the captains to see how you are convincing fans to come on screen with you. Like there's so many things that go on behind the scenes of the J-Force itself that people wouldn't really know. And then in the end of that, I ended up getting hired. I have absolutely no idea how with the dance skill set I was performing <laughs> at was a very low low scale but, but i went in for extra sorry i was just gonna say but emily like it, it's uh <laughs> i know that they ran you through a lot of testing but at the end of the day you just gotta nail okay blue jays right like that's know, the that's the, that's the big one. one you can't mess that one up if you mess that one up you're done for sure but yeah <laughs> that job really propelled me um into baseball itself i would say and mainly being a fan of the jays obviously you're cheering for a team you're gonna become more of a fan with by uh, a fan of them automatically Um, And that I did two seasons of that and kind of, you know, like the 2017 season for the Jays was not a great one. And so it's a completely different dynamic when you're cheering for a winning team in 2016, um, hitting a wild card walk off and Carnation to 2017 losing Blue Jays. Uh, It's really hard to cheer for a team that's not doing so hot, obviously. So that was my last season as J-Force, but years down the line, I ended up working at events and I actually ran into Jamie Campbell. Obviously, everyone knows him as um, the anchor on Blue Jay Central. And uh, he was at an event I was at, and I just said, hey, you know, like, do you remember me kind of thing? And he was like, yeah, like, you were on the J-Force, whatever. Do you want to work in TV? And, like, I'll never forget those words um, that came out of his mouth because he's, like, been a very pivotal factor in where I am now. Um, and the, do you want to work on TV? Obviously, going to school for sport media, yes, that was the end goal. Um, As you know, Blake, it's very hard in the sport media industry to a secure jobs and keep jobs and all that. So I was like, yeah, like I I still do. What does that kind of entail? And the production coordination job was up for grabs for the 2020 season. Um, Obviously, I got hired in 2020. Uh, The COVID uh, pandemic hit, so that didn't work out for me. And then was able to actually work half of the season in 2021 when the Jays came back. So that's how I kind of ended up. And so it was all about networking and really just like knowing people and having connections, right? Because part of my J-Force career, you could say, was doing Junior Jays Saturdays. And one of the promotions that we still do, and they still do to this day, is the Junior Jamie. Um, So I spent a lot of time on the Blue Jays Central set at the time with the junior Jamie, the kid who would ultimately be on screen with Jamie during his hit. 
So that's actually how I got to know Jamie. And so just through like connections through that ended me up with this job now to where I am now as a production coordinator. So I think everything is about connections, all about networking. And I'm so grateful for where I ended up here, but production coordination is a completely different beast than J force. Let me just say that. Um, as much as J-Force was a lot of running around, I think this job is way more running around than anyone could ever expect. I'm like in every single elevator at every time. Like people are just like, where is this girl coming from? <laughs> kind of thing. Going up and down from the 300s to field level. So basically the majority of what I do is I'm always there pre-game, um, about three hours before um, during BP, helping the camera guys for Sportsnet get the footage they need and then feeding it from the field to the trucks uh, for the show, later to be cut into a pack. Um, or used during the game at any time. So it's like really important that there is someone there running that footage or what would you be watching on the television other than all of our broadcasters, right? There's no footage to go with it. So that's like one of the main parts of my job. On top of that, assisting all the talent, making sure the talent have everything they need in terms of game sheets, food, drink. Hazel is unfortunately stuck down (laughs) on the field during the whole game. So she can't go anywhere once the game starts. So I get her whatever she needs. Um, you know, which has been awesome. And then Joe and Jamie, the most low maintenance guys ever. Um, they don't really need anything during the game. So I just, I really, I get to hang out, um, with people I looked up to and people I work alongside every day, which is, and watch baseball, which is, I mean, I don't even know. It's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's crazy. No, it's, it's amazing. And obviously you, you do a great job of it. And all of those people you mentioned speak so highly of you. Um, the, the Hazel one's funny. She's trapped down there. Um, I'm curious, where do you end up like getting to watch most of the game from? Like, are you with Jamie and Joe more often? Do you get to sit down there with, with Hazel in kind of that like media and camera alcove? And, and like, how much of the game do you actually get to check out versus sprinting around? Yeah, it's funny. So I, I see, I would say 70% of the game. Um, sometimes there are moments in the elevators where the security or the usher, like, what is the score? And I'm like, I don't know because <laughs> I've been, I've been running around. I'm not sure where, like what's going on at this moment in time, but I do watch a lot of the game actually in the press box with our camera guys um, or down with Joe and Jamie on the set of Blue Jay Central. Um, so yeah, like I get a little bit of both. Sometimes I'll go to the media bay uh, with Hazel, but it's usually only for special games or things that are needed post game. So for example, I've done a couple of scrums, obviously holding the mic for Manoa. Um, and when Stroman was here, obviously him playing on the opposing team, Hazel had to be with the Jays. Someone had to be over there. So I just moved myself over there and helped out the camera guys there. And then obviously too, with the Yankees clinching, um, I was over there, right in there, smack dab in the middle, mm. which was an experience in itself. So, yeah, I get to watch from really anywhere I end up, basically. Did you get uh, beverage on you while the Yankees were <laughs> celebrating? <laughs> that That's because I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, too, by the way. So, yeah, I didn't. So okay. um, it was actually there was two groups of media that were allowed in at a time. So the first group was um, select cameras. Um, and uh, crews, and then the second group was Sportsnet and everyone else, writers, all that. So I think they had done the majority of their celebrating beforehand, which I'm assuming was the spraying champagne across, oh, beverage, sorry, across (laughs) the the, uh, um, clubhouse. But uh, a little bit, I mean, they were still celebrating a little bit, there was a little bit of splatter, but it it, uh, it was more so the puddles on the ground Mm. that were the most fascinating to me. I was like, that's a lot of wasted 
drink right there. It sure is. So uh, I bring this up because the Jays obviously haven't gotten to celebrate yet. Um, we'll see Kyle Sowers just hit a two run home run for Baltimore actually. So Baltimore just pulled ahead. Maybe it'll play out where the Jays don't clinch until tomorrow instead of clinching today. But I was thinking if the Jays clinch today without even playing, there is a stash somewhere down under there of the party favors that they would be using to celebrate. I asked Kayla McGrath yesterday if she would join my heists to uh, get in there and get it. Uh, are yeah. you are you in on that? Oh, my gosh. I mean, because if anyone really knows where it is, it's you. <laughs> I'll be walking by it tomorrow if it's still down there. Like, you know, if it ends up being tomorrow. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'd be down for that. <laughs> it's just like I kind of hope it in a way. Um, selfishly, I hope that it all happens tomorrow, you know, yeah, and it, not today. <laughs> it makes, uh, it's, it's more special that way. Certainly the, yeah. the like clinch without doing anything is weird. Um, yeah. and like I said, for anyone who didn't hear, sorry, I thought it was a two run home run. It was just a solo shot ties the game at three in the top of the seven. So, um, Emily on top of clinching a playoff spot, the Jays are also trying to clinch home field in the wild card. We know that they have. They've come out and just said, this is what we want. This is the goal. We think our fans deserve it. We've heard players say, like, not only we think this will be a big advantage, but Vlad said the other day, hey, I talked to Batista and Encarnacion, and they said, you haven't experienced Toronto until you've experienced playoff Toronto. Um, you've been there a lot over the years through J-Force and down the stretch last season where there's were some awesome crowds, um, just as the Jays tried to sneak into the playoffs there at the end. Um, what do you think this is going to be like six years since the Jays last were able to host a playoff game, assuming that they do get to, to host a, uh, a couple games here? I think it's going to be wild. I think it's really needed for Toronto as a whole. Just thinking back to even 2021, um, playing, you know, August and September at home is not quite the same as playing a whole season on your home field. Yeah, they had Buffalo, but it's not the same thing, I don't think. So I think even last year, it was a huge deal them coming back for players, but also just for fans, like just being able to watch the guys they look up to playing on the home field, coming to visit Toronto. Like it's a huge thing for the team. I think it's going to be a huge thing for the city if you want to look at it even bigger than that, you know? So I think it's very important to have home field advantage. Just the overall atmosphere, like you said, is that's like really, I think what nails in the win most of the time for these kinds of teams, especially not having that in the past and six years, like you said, like that's a long time coming. I think it's going to be, I think if it all happens the way we want it to, and it's all good, I think that this will be like one to remember for sure. I, I hope you're right. Um, I hope we're headed that way. Um, you're, around the team a lot and you're around obviously I mean you know baseball yourself but then you also get to spend time with um great baseball minds like Joe Siddle um have you been able to pick up a lot from those people whether it's Hazel or, or Jamie or Joe or whoever um just like you know in becoming a, a smarter baseball fan or a sharper baseball fan or anything like that like 1000 times percent like there's no question that if I didn't have someone like Joe Jamie Hazel um, kind of teaching me the ways and just like general baseball knowledge like it's it's been crucial to my overall growth I think in sports and in in baseball itself just hearing um, baseball talk terms you know like that kind of thing I think Hazel for me has been such an icon and a role model to me 
um, through all my years in, in sport media, that getting to work alongside her and really hear her side of things as a female woman in sports who's been in this for a while, like that's like a whole different perspective that I'm like so, so, so grateful for um, being a female as well, trying to work in the sport media world, you know, and then just having Joe Siddle, Jamie, um, Brett Siddle as well, like just learning from all of them has been crucial to me and uh, like couldn't, couldn't have asked for anything better. Like really grateful for that. All right. We're going to end on a, a sour one here. I'm going to send you, oh, I'm going to send you away mad at me. Um, if we were ranking all of the reasons that you're excited for the Blue Jays playoffs, and let's assume they go on a big run, how high does, well, I don't have to pay attention to my Arizona Cardinals for a couple weeks rank for you. <laughs> oh my God. You know what? <laughs> the thing is, is I think if they had lost, the game against Oakland and they were 0-3 right now, I'd be a little bit more sour. I still have faith in them. I, I know it's crazy, but, like, I'll, it's, yeah, that would rank. The Jays <laughs> come first for me right now, automatic, but um, the Cardinals, I still got to watch their games. I'll be doing both at the same time. Hopefully the Jays' um, wild card games don't end up, playoff games don't uh, interfere with the times for the Cardinals because that would be, that's the real problem. That's when you need the two screens, you know what I mean? Computer, phone. TV, all of it happening at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Thankfully, we we all here have Rogers Ignite, and it's so easy yeah. to, to check out all the different sports and channels at once. Um, and your Cardinals play at four most days, so if the Jays end yeah. up with the 12 or 1 o'clock game, you could be in good shape. Um, That's em exactly right. Emily Savard, thanks so much for taking the time out uh, and sharing you know, your background and your role. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Blake. Emily Savard of Blue Jays Central. You can also check out her podcast my pov podcast um check her out wherever you're you're on socials as well um big part of the behind the scenes of what you end up seeing during a toronto blue jays tv or radio broadcast we mostly focus on the tv there but she's helping out the radio side uh as well i put out a tweet earlier asking for some questions and man one person who by the way as a reminder, always, if you're texting into 590-590, love that. All about the text into the text line. But you got to sign it. You got to put your name and location, both so we can shout you out. And because if you go on a big paragraph rant like this person did, um, I'm less inclined to read it if I don't know who's sending it. So uh, make sure you add your name there. We do have a couple questions uh, in, well, from Twitter, not just the text line. Um, Dr. Internet asked if I see myself more as a Fraser Crane or a Bulldog Bob Briscoe. That's a, a good question. I imagine he must have been listening at, at about 302 when I made the Maris Niles uh, reference. I don't know. I think I, I split the difference. Obviously, Bulldog's more of the sports guy. But, uh, you know, if I were to... If I were to assign people from Sports at 590, the fan, as characters in that radio station I, I mean i think we're all clear that jd bunkus is the bulldog bob briscoe um i don't know i may be somewhere somewhere in between that's a great question though uh we have some real questions as well steve asks is it time to reconsider the credit we give pete walker and the rest of the pitching support staff in light of Barrios having his first bad year, Kikuchi being Kikuchi, and Robbie Ray continuing his success after leaving. Um, Steve, this is one I, I've kicked around a bunch, and I thought, you know, it's something I kicked around even when things were better and, and people were, you know, very high on Pete Walker and the job he's done. And I, I think that 
still, you don't last in the job that long. You don't have other teams kicking the tires on you as a potential manager. You don't hear players talk as highly about you if you're not really good at your job. I just think pitching is really difficult, and it's a combination of the work the pitcher's doing, the support staff around them, the catchers he's working with. You know, we know a lot of these guys also do a ton of their own work in the offseason when it comes to to pitch design and things like that. So um, it's not a satisfying answer, Steve, but I I think any of these things, um, and more so when there's success than anything, you have to be mindful of, of spreading that credit around because you know and this is true in any sport like I, i've covered the the player development side in basketball really really closely over the years and that's uh you know that's you're talking about the player first and foremost the the coaching and that's not just the head coach that's the you know the guys who are running you through drills before a game and things like that you're talking about the minor league coaching staff um in the off season they usually have people they're working out with and you know, doing off season runs and things like that. And then there's a huge mental component that it's, that's also, you know, hard to make heads or tails of. So Steve, not a satisfying answer for you. I apologize for that. Um, But I do think it's a good reminder not to get too high or too low on uh, the impact of certain members of the staff, especially in 2022, where with a baseball team, we know that it's, you know, it takes a, takes a village, so to speak, because there's Pete Walker, the pitching coach, there's a pitching strategist, there are pitch design specialists, and I'm sure there's there are biomechanic biomechanists. Sure. Um, there's all that going on. And there's that going on at in Toronto, that's that going on in Dunedin, at the performance center. Um, there's a lot going on. We've got a lot more mailbag questions we'll sprinkle in throughout our second hour. We're going to talk to Jelani Morgan a little later about what it's like to take an instantly iconic photo of Aaron Judge hitting his 61st home run that legendary baseball players are sharing on social media. Um, But first, we're going to talk to Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs. We've talked to him throughout the year. He's a great guest anyway, um, but it's a good time to look back on his Zips projection system, what it thought about the Jays at the start, what it thought about the Jays in the middle, what it thinks about the Jays now, Uh, potentially a couple innings here from clinching a playoff spot. Uh, Orioles, Red Sox tied at three in the seventh right now. We'll continue to keep an eye on that. Uh, Dan Zaborski next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Toronto Blue Jays are off tonight. Lost two or three to the Yankees, still hanging on to that top wild card spot, still waiting to clinch a playoff spot, though. Magic numbers down to one. Orioles in action right now, tied up against the Boston Red Sox. We'll continue to keep an eye on that, see if it's done by the time the show ends. Uh, Producer JR has, I assume, some beer on ice for me uh, to... Just run in and and spray me down with it. He's threatening to pour a coffee on me right now. That doesn't count. That's not the same. Um, We'll see how that one goes. Um, We're going to take a little bit of a reflection on uh, last night at Aaron Judge once again here um, with 
Jelani Morgan in a little bit and with Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs right now. Uh, Dan, I have a question from a listener that I'm not equipped. I don't have the math background to answer. So maybe you can help us out with that. The question is, which number is larger, 61 or 73? <laughs> That's kind of a loaded question. 73, but it's complicated and stuff i don't know what the context is behind that i thought it was just a math question um in seriousness so aaron judge hits number 61 last night against the blue jays whatever you feel about 61 versus 73 it's still the most home runs in baseball over the last 20 years it's the seventh most ever it's a yankee it ties a yankees record do you think that the discussion of is it the record has kind of distracted from even if it's not the record, this is one of the absolute most special seasons of all time? I, I think so. That's something I've actually been talking about. It, it annoys me a little bit because Judge is having one of the greatest offensive seasons any player has put on. He's doing it in a kind of a poor environment for hitting a lot. He's doing it. He's played an adequate center field at times this year. Uh, I mean, he's had an amazing year, and you don't need to describe it as great by kind of, you know, lawyer loopholing the record. Like, oh, well, Bonds doesn't count, and McGuire doesn't count, and, and Sosa, well, he sort of doesn't count, but we'll just throw him out. Uh, Maris, he was in an expansion year. You, you don't need to do that, and it looks kind of cheap if you have to kind of loophole judge the greatness. He's having a great year. He's having a Hall of Fame-type season, when a, a season that many Hall of Famers would be proud to call their best season. So I don't know why we have to have all this rigmarole. Yeah, it's uh, it seems a little goofy. And one of the things that stands out to me watching how the Jays pitched him in a couple different situations is you're not just avoiding him because of the home runs. You're also avoiding him with men on base because he's the best contact hitter in the American League, too. Um, a triple crown has only been done 16 times in baseball history. You got to go back to, you know, Canadian legend Tip O'Neill for, for one of the first ones. Um, Miguel Cabrera in 2012, the only time it's happened since 1967. Um, through that lens, you know, how special is a triple crown in the modern era, in the three true outcomes era? And, you know, without putting you in a, in a corner with the home run stuff, is that maybe just as impressive as, as hitting 60 home runs? I think so. I mean, triple crowns aren't, aren't really, you know, an evaluative tool in the same way some of the more advanced numbers are, but they're really, really cool, and they represent kind of, you know, different skill sets, especially when you talk batting average and home runs. Because, you know, you look at the batting average leaders and you look at the home run leaders, and you have a very different group of, of, of players. Uh, and I, I think it's special when you have a home run hitter today who's not just gripping and ripping with a low average, high on base percentage. I mean, Judge is, you know, having a very good batting average season, a very good contact season. Uh, and those kinds of things are kind of rare to mush together with a lot of home runs. You know, McGuire didn't hit 350. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's an amazing season. The Triple Crown is super cool. It was cool when Miguel Cabrera did it. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot to like without, you know, getting too into the weeds with who has a record. 
Yeah. Um, and here's one more for you, just while I'm throwing stats out there. Since 2010, so we're looking at kind of, I guess we'll call it the post-Bonds era. There have only been four players who hit 45 home runs and hit 300. Uh, Vlad actually did it last year, uh, but Aaron Judge, certainly the only one of those guys to uh, hit 60 plus in there. So um, worth recognizing uh, just how special it is in a lot of ways. Uh, Going to do a hard pivot here. Dan and going to completely go away from judge and focus on uh, the blue Jays and the playoffs in general. Now I know that your zip system is, you know, at the start of the year, it's 162 game outlook. And then it's, it's a helpful, you know, at the midway mark rest of season outlook, you as an analyst, whether it's the, the projection system or just the way you approach baseball, how different are things or how different do you approach things now that we're at the doorstep of the playoffs versus 162 games, because all of the trust that things will work out in large enough samples goes out the window when we're talking three, five and same game and seven game series. So what's the biggest switch for you this time of year? Generally speaking, we're doing projections, uh, for a short series, the kind of things that win a short series are different than what win over the course of a season. Uh, so when you're projecting out a five or a seven game or a three game series, things like the top of the rotation become proportionally more important because in a playoff series, the top pictures will get a, a larger proportion of the innings than they get during the regular season. Your fifth, six, sevens, and eight starters aren't as big a deal uh, because you know, your guys only have to stay healthy for a month now instead of six months, which is good news for the Mets because Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom keeping them healthy for another six months is always kind of a risk. <laughs> uh, but the, the the top end talent becomes a bigger deal when you're talking the playoffs and depth becomes less of an issue simply because there's not as much need for the depth as during the course of the season. So teams that have that really high end first tier talent, they, they, they can overperform a bit in the playoffs. I mean, not drastically. It's still a, a crapshoot in many ways. It's not like the NBA where the eighth seed is usually dead to the first seed. Uh, any team can in win in baseball. Uh, so, I mean, I guess the classic example is you get back to the Nats a few years ago. They had no bullpen. They had three good starting pictures, and they kind of rode them all the way through the playoffs. Yeah, and there are a few different ways to do it. And, you know, one of the things that, that struck me as you were answering there is um, the idea of replacement level or your internal replacement level kind of goes out the window because your best nine guys, and obviously there are platoons and things like that, but at, for the most part, your best players are going to play every day. You don't need rest days and things like that. Um so when you're looking at how you design a playoff roster, say, I think the obvious one is, you know, your fifth starter either moves into the bullpen or doesn't make the playoff roster so you can add another bullpen arm. But on the position player side, um, how much differently would you want to build out your bench on the position player side for the playoffs, assuming you had, you know, the type of bench players who are generally available? Uh, well, I think that the need for, say, like a, a generic fourth outfielder or a fifth infielder isn't really as high because say you lose your third baseman to an injury, you can replace them on the roster. Uh, so you don't have to roster the backups necessarily. I think you look more for specific players 
that are situational, and you wouldn't really look that way the same in the regular season. I, during the regular season, it's really hard to carry, say, a pinch runner for extra innings <laughs> uh, or, or something like that. Uh, but you see that happen in the playoffs because there's a lot more justification for it because they don't need to replace uh, uh, anyone for injury because the the roster rules will take care of that. The same way you're talking about, say, a, a, a hitter with a large platoon split. Having a righty pinch hitter that crushes lefties, that's really hard to carry when you're talking teams carrying 12 and 13 uh, uh, man pitching staffs during the regular season. It's hard to carry, you know, a dedicated pinch hitter of that type, but you can during the playoffs. So I think you kind of look almost more of a tactical way uh, when you're assembling uh, a playoff roster as opposed to more of a strategic concept when you're doing uh, it over the course of a season. Yeah, it makes sense to me. And one of the more interesting or more fascinating decisions the Jays have, especially if Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Santiago Espinal are, are healthy in time, is whether you dedicate one of those spots to a third catcher. And I wanted to bring this up with you, Dan, because I know in your latest chat over at Fangraphs, um, you got asked about whether Danny Jansen's progression is real, and you you got into just a little bit, you know, long-term, the decision the Jays have to make with Alejandro Kirk, Danny Jansen, and Gabriel Moreno. Um, what about for the playoffs, though? Do you see a useful role for all three of those guys on a playoff roster? I think it almost depends on who you have on the pitching staff in the playoffs and who they're most comfortable with. In the playoffs, I want every pitcher to throw to whoever they prefer. Hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously you want that as much as possible during the regular season, uh, but I I think it really comes down to who is exactly healthy at the time. Uh, I don't necessarily think you have to carry third catchers simply because – if one gets injured, you can replace them very easily. You don't have to have anyone option to the minors or anything. That's not how it works. Uh, really, I guess it, it comes down to how they feel about the last picture in, in, uh, in the bullpen versus the extra catcher. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one there. And so with the Jays specific catchers, um, I know you didn't get to get into it a lot in the chat just because it was more about the longer term decisions. But when you look at Danny Jansen and the breakout he's had and it's come in small chunks, which has made it a little tough. You know, last year he struggled and then he was hurt and then he was red hot. And then this year he was red hot and then he was hurt and then he struggled and then he was red hot again. It's been really up and down to kind of cobble our way to, you know, a 500 plate appearance sample over the last two years. Um, But we are talking about a guy who was overall slightly above average at the plate last year over 205 plate appearances. And this year has been way, way, way above average at the plate over 228 plate appearances. So it wasn't even 500. It was 433 plate appearances in the last two years of Danny Jansen being a well above average hitter. And that's not a well above average hitting catcher. It's just a well above average hitter. Um, are you a believer in that growth at the plate for Danny Jansen? It, it's hard to fake power on this level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look what he's hit. He's hit 25 home runs the last two years and then 400-some plate appearances. Uh, and he's done it again this year with the ball. Let's just say it seems to be dejuiced compared to prior seasons. So it hasn't stopped him at all. I, the power is probably for real. Uh, I think it, how good an offensive player he is overall kind of depends where his batting average is going to be in any specific year. 
there's a big difference in his line between hitting 210 and 260. He's not going to draw like a million walks or anything most of the time. Uh, I think that you have a justification for all three as the long-term fit in Toronto. Uh, so that, that's why I think it's such an is- interesting challenge that the team has to face because it's hard to really get full value of all three catchers on your roster. Uh, you, you can't say, okay, be as good as you are, but be a left fielder. Uh, that's just, it, it doesn't happen. It might, it's a lot easier to trade one for kind of the equivalent quality left fielder or, or some other player who would fit a need. Uh, so I think, it, you know, it might come down to who they can sign to a long-term contract extension because that does change the calculus somewhat on who you value and who you plan around. Yeah, it's a that's it is tough, and it is you know the the Jays have tried to get Gabriel Moreno some practice time at infield and outfield positions, but that's not ideal. You take away a catcher's value by moving him away from catcher too. Um, I wanted to ask you about another Blue Jay who a couple weeks ago, before Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Santiago Espinal got hurt, we were discussing not you and I, but in general on this show whether Whit Merrifield would have a role in the playoffs and maybe he would get left off the playoff roster because he wasn't playing at all after starting out poorly with the Blue Jays. Um, He's a guy you and I spoke about around the trade deadline when the Jays first acquired him. He's turned it around a little bit. His, His WRC plus as a Blue Jay is now up to 93, so almost a league average hitter since he joined Toronto. He's started eight games in a row, um, so the playing time seems to really be there. Um, where, what is your thinking on Whit Merrifield and, and, you know, where he's at? Because I know there was, at the time we talked at the deadline, there was some hope that he could take a step back forward because he'd been a little unfortunate. But um, there are also some signs that, you know, maybe aging has come for him here at almost 34. Uh, are you still a believer in Whit Merrifield everyday player for a playoff team? Or, or is he ideally in a smaller role? I think it's a smaller role. I don't necessarily think you even roster him, depending on how uh, Espinal's health is at, at the time. I think that if you don't need him to start because of, of injuries or the like, I think that he is someone you leave off the bench because he's not really someone you bring in tactically in a game to say you would the same way you would bring in again, like a lefty mashing first base DH type or a very fast. Uh, the uh, player who can run the bases or maybe a, you know, a center fielder with a good glove who can't hit those kinds of guys have more tactical use within a game than just versatility. Versatility in any given game. Is not super useful? Uh, I mean, it's, it's useful in the long term, but not really in, in when we're talking about one single game. Uh, so I think you possibly, depending if everyone's healthy, you leave him off the roster. And then if someone's injured, then you make him kind of the guy who comes in uh, and can fill in in the outfield or at second base or, or wherever. Uh, it's, it's hard to really see him as, you know, just his performance hasn't really bounced back that much. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, when we're talking about, well, he's bounced back to almost being a league average hitter as a as a Blue Jay, that's, uh, you know, damning with faint praise a, a little bit. So we did talk to you around the deadline, and, and, I mean, we've talked to you a bunch this season. It's always fun. Um, but the Jays' deadline to look back on now, um, Mitch White has struggled. And I know you said in your chat there's been some misfortune there. Um, there certainly has. There's also been an inability to execute with two strikes. If we dig into some of the pitch stuff. Um, So Mitch white has stumbled a little bit. 
Whit Merrifield has been maybe at this point now you'd say he's been what you were what you were hoping for what was advertised but that hadn't been the case um for a little while there and, and then you can look at you know Zach Pop's been solid he gave them se- he's given them 17 innings with the ERA around 2 even though he doesn't strike anyone out and Anthony Bass has kind of become their most trusted righty on righty guy um how do you feel about the the Jays trade deadline looking back on it here and seeing where Cleveland, Tampa Bay and Seattle are in that tier of the American League I mean not everything has worked out according to plan but I think I still think now that in light of what was known at the time that the moves made were reasonable uh, unless, of course, you're getting, you know, on Soto, but only one team was going to get them and they had to pay a lot to get him. I, I, I think the thing with Mitch White is even if you don't think he's going to turn around this season, I mean, you still like him long term. But in the playoffs this year, I actually play slightly more value on having a mop up guy around than I do in previous years simply because teams are losing a couple off days uh, in the early part of the playoffs. Uh, simply because of the compressed schedule uh, that they've taken away a couple of the off off days, and that 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 can be important when you're trying to rest a bullpen. Uh, you do not want to have seven guys, you know, seven relievers pitching to to protect a a ten run lead or a ten run shortfall when uh, you don't have any rest days uh, during the playoffs. Uh, again, the first two rounds. So I, I think that there's a good case to have him on the roster, and I do think that he'll probably turn around. I don't know if it'll happen in the next couple of weeks, though, which, of course, is a problem. Yeah, and, you know, um, Mitch White is someone that, you know, I'm, again, I, I said it yesterday, and I kind of I ran into a listener at the game yesterday and was kind of bouncing back and forth. It's, uh, you know, long-term, I think there's enough there. Short-term, you're right. It's probably mop-up duty is his most obvious utility um, on a playoff team for this year. Uh, one more Jays one for you before we look uh, around the American League playoff picture just a little bit. Um, I mentioned earlier when we were highlighting just how special Aaron Judge's season was that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. just a year ago had a season that was certainly not 61 home runs, but one of those four seasons where someone had 45 home runs and a 300 batting average over the last you know, 10, 15 years. Um, When you look at the Blue Jays as a whole, they are one of the best offenses in baseball and arguably the best offense in um, the American League over the second half of the season. Is your confidence level in that group higher or lower when you figure in that it's been more about the depth of the lineup and, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has just been kind of good instead of MVP level Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I'm, I'm still fairly confident in the lineup because there's a few reasons. One, Matt Chapman, it's kind of hidden by the decline in the offense around the league, but he's actually back to when you look at his rate numbers compared to league average, he's actually back to his league average numbers, this, his, his career average numbers this year. Uh, so I'm, I'm less worried about him, whether the, whether 2021 was a, a, a worry, worrisome sense sign of decline. So I'm less worried about Chapman. Uh, we've, we've had a lot more Springer this, this time around, and, and he's generally been still good, so I'm not worried there. I, I would have liked, you know, a, a little better of a bounce back from Kevon Biggio, but uh, I, I, I think that it's generally been a positive season, and I think that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will have better seasons than this. Uh, it's one of those things that 
you know, stat heads like me always warn about, the, you know, the regression towards the mean. Mm. Uh, and there was some of that this year, but I think he's probably a little below where he can be. Uh, he, I mean, he's not going to have 2021 every season, but he's going to get closer to that, and I think there's still more to come from him. So I'd be pretty confident about the offense, generally speaking. I think they probably could use another outfielder over the offseason. I there were moments, but I still think there was too much uh, uh, Tapia. So, you know, they, they had their work cut out this year, yeah. this winter. Um, yes, I like that you used the spooky voice for regression of the mean as we're on the... Oh, I, not the eve. I almost said the eve of October. We got one more day. Um, less spooky, though. And sorry, Dan, I, I have to provide this update. J.D. Martinez just hit a two-run homer for the Boston Red Sox. Red Sox pull ahead of the Orioles 5-3 in the bottom of the eighth. So I only bring that up because the Blue Jays will clinch a playoff spot if the Orioles lose this game. So that's fun for Jays fans. Um, couple outs away there from clinching a playoff spot. Dan, before we let you go, quick AL look around at some of the teams uh, that the Jays are kind of in the mix with for a potential wildcard series. Um, I know you wrote recently about the Rays depth being as tested as it is. Tyler Glasnow came back yesterday. Um, the guardians have been maybe the hottest team, but they've only played 44 games against teams above 500. Um, what do you make a, of that kind of foursome that we're likely headed for in the wildcard round? Does anyone stand out to you more than the other teams or, or are they all kind of as even as the records suggest? I think they're fairly even, but I think it's I think it's a little unfair that the Mariners, who are probably going to be the last seed, get the better wild card round matchup. Uh, because you know, I I would much rather play the, the, the Guardians uh, uh, given the choice. Uh, so that seems that seems a little unfair to have to play the play the Rays mm-hmm. instead. But I do think the the teams are very even. If we go back to the start of the season. Uh, Zip saw kind of a very chaotic AL East. Uh, it had four teams tying 87 wins on average. Obviously, it didn't really actually predict them to do that in any given year. But there was a lot of uncertainty around the AL East, very closely matched teams. And I think, generally speaking, that's kind of stayed the same, even if you you know knock down the Red Sox a little, pump up the Yankees a bit. I think that the quality teams are very close. Uh, for a good chunk of the season, uh, if you look at the fan graphs, our projections had the Blue Jays as the better team going forward, and this was while the Yankees were still winning a ton of games. Hmm. Uh, so there's a lot to like about the Jays. There is, and you know, for anyone who is maybe disappointed the Jays didn't win the division, um, you know, this is a good reflection on what those projection systems are actually telling us when they show three or four teams at the top of the AL East with around 87 wins. The Jays have 87 wins right now. Um, they could finish with you know, 90, 93, uh, whatever, but it's within the realm of possibility. If you're projected, uh, near the top of a very tight division, Dan Zimborski, look forward to, uh, your playoff series projections. When, uh, when those come out in a couple of days, when we have the matchups here, uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for coming on and keep up all the great work. Always fun. Thanks for having me on. Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs. I mentioned it there with him that the Red Sox have gone up 5-3 on the Orioles thanks to a J.D. Martinez two-run home run. Bottom of the eighth, Red Sox still at bat with two outs and a runner on. Uh, We'll continue to keep an eye on that when we come back because the Blue Jays could clinch playoff spot by the end of this show today. Uh, We're also going to talk to Jelani Morgan, photo director at West End Phoenix next. Uh, He got 
a couple of tremendous, tremendous photos of Aaron Judge hitting number 61 last night. He's also been around the Jays all year working on his Black Jays photo series. So we'll check in with him uh, about that and what his plans are for capturing, hopefully, some home playoff games. Jelani Morgan next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. You want to talk about looking at a photograph? Well, our next guest took a couple of tremendous ones as Aaron Judge hit number 61 last night. So much so that MLB legend Rod Carew is out there, quote, retweeting them. Uh, We're joined now by photo director at West End Phoenix, um, photographer, artist, professor, Jelani Morgan. How are you, buddy? I'm doing all right, man. Thanks for that. Um, Yeah, just feeling good about Okay, maybe not feeling good because he lost, but feeling good about the moment because when you have Rod Carew saying something about you, you know you're doing something, right? Rod Carew, literally Rod Carew. <laughs> literally, I know. It was, I got to call my uncle and dad about this. <laughs> so um, anyone can obviously check out your, your socials uh, for the photos of Aaron Judge uh, and that, that moment, that 61st home run. I'm sure in West End Phoenix, uh, you know, next issue, they'll, they'll be in there as well. Um, but tell me a little bit about how you prepped leading up to this series knowing that yeah you're mostly doing jays stuff and you're working on this season-long jays project but there could be a piece of baseball history happening this week as well yeah exactly and, and i mean i can't be remiss of history especially when it comes down to baseball but that's like deep-seated in in that sort of uh way of remembering you know and so i'm a i'm a i'm a, I'm a blue jay fan but i'm a baseball fan first and so i can't be getting in the way of history and so if i'm able to document it like i was really you know circling the calendar it was actually circling it on monday but you know things didn't happen and that's fine because we got a win out of it <laughs> um and then i had to prep for class on wednesday so i didn't go on tuesday so i'm just like oh boy i really hope it's not gonna happen and then it didn't and thankfully they walked them all and, and then so today you know yesterday happened and you know i was really happy that that moment happened and i was uh i felt really prepared for it because i had this like incredible lens thanks to the folks at Canon because I had like one of those really long lenses. I didn't, I could be right up to him, right close to him as if I'm right there. And, and the, the moment happened. And so thankfully I was in the right spot for it and in the right timing for it. And, and, and it looks like it sort of resonated with the people that like baseball photos. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's no arguing how great the photos are. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, you're in the right spot, you're in the right timing and things like that. And, and obviously you've got a couple different lens options. How much do you, without getting too into the, the technical stuff, how much do you prep for like Aaron judge specifically and figure out, okay, this is going to be my best spot for a right-handed hitter who's six foot seven uh, and things like that. For sure. So like, usually I like to stay on the J side of things because that's where the action is. And as you know, that's where the work that I'm, I'm, I'm there to make. And, but um, I want to see him, you know what I mean? Like his number and his Jersey is real or sorry, not his name, but his Jersey number is there, but I want to make sure I see his face. You know, this is the side, sort of thing that visibility is important. And so I was on the away side and, and so was all the other photographers because they, uh, of course, subscribe to the same ideas of, of trying to get his face as well, too. So 
you know, I'm not in the front row and that's fine, but I was able to find my space, which is what I like about the freedoms that I have in that pit because I know where to put my place and space to be in. And so um, I put my sticks down. Um, I had the framing. And, and so you just go. And I'm thankful for the camera I have where you could just kind of like frame it and then fire off and, and find the one that makes sense. And, and that was what happened. So what are you looking for in the moment then? So we've kind of done the series prep, the plate appearance prep, and then, you know, the pitch comes in. Obviously, you're shooting that regardless because you don't know what the result's going to be. And then he makes contact. You know, what's going through your mind over the course of that, you know, I guess it's only like, I don't know, 20 <laughs> seconds it all happens in. Uh, feels it's like that, an eternity. Right? It honestly, it reminds me of the the Kawhi shot where, like, I talked to Keyshawn Mystery about his iconic shot for that, and it's like, yeah, it, it, things kind of slow down, and, and you're so experienced, you know what you're looking for, but, um, you know, in the moment, is much crossing your mind, or are you kind of on just leaning on your, your experience and your instinct at that point? I feel like my Apple Watch tells me that my beat per minute goes down. Huh. It feels like um, it's very tunnel vision-y and, and all that matters is what's in front of me, you know? And so, you know, I know the rhythm of baseball and the ways in which he's swung because I've been there for a few times. And so you kind of like look at him before you sort of look at the photograph. And so that's what I did, you know, before you kind of look at how he swings and then you see the muscles move and you think about, and you don't really articulate these things in your mind, but mm -hmm. you sort of like instinctively feel and look for these moments. And so, you know, you see the pitch come in, you kind of look to your right because that's the eye that I have available, and then the ball comes in, and then you sort of just fire away knowing that your composition is set. So um, thankfully the composition was set, and thankfully the timing was right, and thankfully that, that well, <laughs> thankfully for history, the photo, you know, the home run happened, but um, absolutely, you know, thrilled to have something that would be in, like, the history of my work. So um, very thankful for that. So obviously it's, um, I mean, the shots speak for themselves. Rod Carew quote retweeting, it speaks for itself. Um, but I'm curious how much it means. Sorry, I'm going to stop this question for one second because the Toronto Blue Jays just clinched a playoff spot. Uh, oh, the, nice. the Baltimore Orioles have lost to the Boston Red Sox. So the Jays are in the playoffs. Uh, Jelani, your quick reaction to uh, the Toronto Blue Jays are officially in the playoffs. I will be there. I'm thankful to be going to be there, and I cannot wait for this run. It's going to be amazing. My birthday is in October. Ugh. I'm hoping for success in October and, and look forward to documenting the next phase of the season that they deservedly are in. A tiny part of you upset, though, that they clinched while not playing instead of you getting to kind of be there during the clinch and the celebration? I mean, I think I heard from you all talk about the fact that, like, everyone's going to wait possibly until Friday, so... You know, while I'm sure there's fist pumping happening amongst them, I, I'm imagining come Friday there'll be some, you know, formal way of doing it. Or, as Barker had said, maybe they just wait till they clinch, like, the number one, like, wild card seed. So, you know, there's always, you know, best ways of finding uh, some joy that I'll be able to photograph. And for us, the, the clinching of the home field is really important because you said, you know, you want to be there, you're going to be there. Well, they got to get the home field because it's, uh, it's all one series and who knows what will happen in a three-gamer. Um, so uh, to go back to the Aaron Judge photo and, and the Rod Carew quote retweet, um, I want to kind of go back to the conversation you and I had when you first came on Jay's Talk Plus back in, I think it was late May. Um, That's right. You're working on this Black Jays series for West End Phoenix all year long. Um, and then in this final week of the regular season, 
you get to take that photograph. That's not just a player who is making baseball history. That's a biracial player who's making baseball history. Um, how cool is it for you and how fitting does that feel given what your focus has been all year that it's not just a guy, it's Aaron Judge who, who is from a mixed background, who is biracial? Well, it's interesting that you had said that because that's how I sort of reconciled with the fact that this photo was also happening because, like, I'm a baseball fan, but I'm black first, you know? And mm -hmm. so because of that, this work sits right perfectly in my work. And, and so the totality and the holistic ways that my work is being made, this fits right in. I know he plays for the Yankees. I know that's, like, literally the antithesis of my fandom. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, Aaron Judge will be Aaron Judge independent of his affiliation with the Yankees. And so that in and itself is exactly how um, I can reconcile with having his work in that moment in my photos. Plus, I mean, the... The, and, and I've said this a couple times that, you know, I, I've had some people, some listeners text in or tweet in or whatever, like, like, oh, you shouldn't want Aaron Judge to set the Yankees record. And you're, you're you know, a Jay's show. You should want the Yankees to have bad things happen. The way I've reconciled it, and I don't have the, you know, obviously I'm not black. I don't have that component of it. But to me, the funniest possible outcome is Aaron Judge breaks the Yankees record and then leaves. So that's how I'm reconciling <laughs> it as well as a troll. Uh, that would be one of the best swan songs for sure out of his le legacy. So, yes, as you declared it, I will help you declare that moment as well, too. Um, okay, so um, last one for you, Jelani. Um, we are getting toward the end of the regular season. I know your Black Jays project with West End Phoenix isn't at a conclusion yet, um, but don't know if I'll run into you uh, during the postseason. So with where it's at right now, as we edge toward um, the end of the regular season, how are you feeling about how the project's gone and, and, you know, accomplishing what we talked about you setting out to do back in May? Well, the, the thing that I really feel good about this work is the fact that it doesn't end in the season. You know, this work is a lifetime of work for me. You know, baseball has been, a, has been in my life as long as I've been cognizant of my own, you know, bodily movements and sports and athletics, like all of that. And so I, I never wanted to feel like this is a one-season project. Um, I feel like it's the first season of a multi-season piece of body of work. And so um, knowing that this sort of sets the tone of what I'm going to be doing moving forward, I look forward to looking back at it and saying, okay, what can I accomplish next year? You know, what, what, who can I profile for next year? Which black um, season ticket holders are there that we can sort of, you know, like all of the work, it's holistic, this work. And so I can't accomplish this in one season. And so I'm really thankful that I was able to start this project, but it's certainly not the end of this project. Well, let's bring it all full circle then, man, and who you're shooting next year. I, I mentioned, you mentioned the Aaron Judge photos being important to you. I mentioned it's really funny if Aaron Judge sets the Yankees record and leaves. Let's tie it all together. Aaron Judge to the Blue Jays next year, and there you go. Book it. Like, I'm ready for it for as well as you, Blake. As All right. well as you. Um, oh, uh, by the way, um, I don't think I've talked to you since the, the announcement came. How is uh, the teaching life? You're, you're now teaching at Humber. Uh, you know, it's, I, I want to obviously shout out my, my students in both of my classes, and, and, and I'm very thankful that I have my time to sort of, like, impart a little bit of wisdom that I've had with photography. And talking about the things I don't even think about is able to be – a really rewarding thing because they're all excited about this and you know they're excited to hear that i'm on radio and so that enchants them like they're going to be my uh, contemporaries is what i told them and so my work is to make sure that these folks are my contemporaries so that's that's what i'm 
challenged with, and I'm really thankful I have an opportunity to do that. Well, they're lucky, and now you can uh, you can just anytime you know they're rambunctious, they're not listening, they question you. You just point at this Aaron Judge photo and be like, Rod Carew retweeted this. Uh, Jelani Morgan, keep up all the great work, man. Looking forward to your work during the playoffs. Looking forward to the next edition of the West End Phoenix. Uh, thanks for taking the time, buddy. No, and thanks for having me once again, Blake. I appreciate all that. Take care. Uh, Jelani Morgan, photo director at West End Phoenix, artist and photographer. Make sure you check him out on socials. And, yeah, if you don't follow him on Twitter, uh, maybe just follow literally Rod Carew posting uh, this guy's work. Very, very cool. Also very cool, as I had to interrupt Jelani for briefly there, the Toronto Blue Jays are headed to the postseason. <laughs> Uh, Derek Brandeo. Um, it is a celebration. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays are headed to the postseason. I don't know what they're going to be doing today. Arden Zwelling and Ben Nicholson Smith made it seem like uh, any sort of official celebration will be put off until uh, tomorrow or maybe even as, as I believe Kevin Barker suggested earlier on Blair and Barker, um, you wait until you lock up home field because that is the now that's the goal. That's the next most important thing. We've thought for weeks that the Blue Jays were going to make the playoffs statistically, mathematically, it had been, it had been extremely likely the last two weeks they were kicking around 99% odds, but it's always nice when it's officially locked in and you can rule out the absolute disaster scenarios of what if you lose out and another team, you know, the Orioles win out and then sweep you in that final series. That series with the Orioles at the end of the year um, is interesting it's possible neither of those teams has anything to play for. The Orioles are not eliminated from the playoffs yet, though. They just can't catch the Blue Jays. So they still have a shot at the Mariners. They still technically have a shot at the Rays, although it would be more difficult than, than the Mariners for them. So um, that'll be worth keeping an eye on as well. Those three games could mean nothing to the Orioles by then. Uh, they could mean everything to the Orioles by then. Um, so to refresh you on what the standings do look like, the Jays seven games up on the Orioles, which means the Orioles can't catch them. I just brought the page up to confirm MLB's already got the little X next to the Toronto Blue Jays name. They're in. They're a game and a half up on Tampa. They're two games up on Seattle. The focus now becomes can you host that wild card series? Tampa Bay has a game left at Cleveland. That's at 6:10 today. And then they'll play 3 at Houston, a very very good team uh that maybe doesn't have all the incentive in the world to be playing their hardest right now. Uh, they can't they they not can't, but they almost certainly will not catch the Los Angeles Dodgers for the best record in baseball. The Yankees almost certainly will not catch them for the best record in the American League. So um, not a lot to play for for the Astros, but it's also with the playoff format and the buy and things like that. I don't think the Astros are going to be like, oh, we'll take our foot off the gas for two whole weeks before we play a meaningful game next. So maybe you get a little help from the Astros. Tampa Bay's got one at Cleveland, three at Houston, three at Boston. Uh, we know Boston is not particularly good, but they came through J.D. Martinez with the big favor today. Um, the best Blue Jay on the field today, J.D. Martinez. Seattle, meanwhile, has one game left against Texas uh, at home. They'll host Oakland for three, and then they'll host Detroit for four, including a doubleheader. Uh, they've got that kind of condensed end-of-season schedule 
because of lockout moved games and not having another window they could play Detroit in. So something interesting that Seattle may have to decide in that Detroit series is, and and this is especially interesting if you're of the mind that Cleveland is the easiest potential first round opponent. Does Seattle deprioritize that series against Detroit because four games in three days with only one day off before the wild card series, they might decide that needlessly harms their rotation and their bullpen. Now, if home field is still a possibility for them, that's a fan base that hasn't had playoff baseball in 20 years. You know, the Mariners want that, you know, we've heard them talk about how they think they'd have a a really big home field edge. Uh, Well, it'd be funny to see if they can keep the Toronto fans out of there. uh, If that was the, the scenario, but Um, A lot to play for for Seattle. Maybe, though, they have to take the long view in the playoffs and kind of concede a couple of those Detroit games or at least not put their best foot forward. The Jays, meanwhile, off today. Then they've got three against Boston and three at Baltimore. Right now, the probable pitchers listed for this series are Manoa, Stripling, Gosman. That's the rotation they were on before. Arden Zwelling made an interesting case earlier to go stripling Manoa Barrios and how that lines Gosman up, how that lines Manoa up. It's a, it's an interesting one. We'll see if that changes at all tomorrow, but right now we're expecting Manoa stripling Gosman. You would then go for the Baltimore series Barrios. I assume Mitch white slash Mitch white led bullpen day. And then game one sixty two. If it doesn't matter, you know, maybe, maybe you're doing some roster juggling. Maybe it's a, Thomas Hatch gets the call day. Maybe you you see if Nate Pearson still exists uh, for the day, something like that. So we'll see how that all goes. This stuff, maybe not so much the Boston series, um, but that next series does affect how you line up for not just the wild card, but the ALDS if you make it through. And as a reminder, the playoff format with rest days is very weird this year. You'd go one off day at the end of the regular season. Three wild card games Friday, Saturday, Sunday. One off day. Game one, off day. Game two, off day. Game three, four, five, no off day. So uh, a kind of bizarre scheduling. Um, You've really got to sit down with the schedule when you lay out uh, potential rotation iterations. But the Jays are in. That's the big thing. That's the the most important thing here. Uh, Colin, we've got a couple texts in the text line. I'm going to try to send some of them for, uh, save some of them for tomorrow rather. Um, But uh, we've got a couple in there. Matt in Toronto says comparing JD Bunkus to Bulldog from Frazier is brilliant. Um, Bulldog also lies about his height constantly too. Uh, Matt, I can confirm JD is, if not 5'10", 5'9". I was at the doctor as recently as last week and confirmed I'm 5'10 and change and JD and I are close in height, if not Uh, the same height. So he's not lying that much. Uh, There are a couple questions in the text line, by the way, that are about like the off season. I, maybe we, we find time for those over the next couple shows, but we're a couple days out from the playoffs. We're going to, we're going to try to pocket off season stuff for the off season um, for now. Uh, Jake from Oshawa asks for a Nate Pearson update. Could he add some value to the bullpen down the stretch? Jake, I think uh, the window's probably gone for that i could see him you know if they have to overtax the bullpen and they're trying to save an arm over the next couple of days giving him a, a shot just to 
you know, pitch an inning and get his feet wet and stuff like that. Um, I don't think he factors into a playoff bullpen because he just, you haven't seen enough and he hasn't been tested at this level. He did pitch on Tuesday. Um, yesterday was the Buffalo Bisons finale. So no more games for Nate Pearson in the minors, no more games for anyone in the minors. Nice to see Addison Barger end the season. He got promoted to AAA late, um, was awesome there. He's headed to Arizona Fall League now. Um, Nate Pearson, though, was just kind of fine. We heard some good reports about where his velocity was and how he looked. The actual results were just okay. At least he got through a couple appearances healthy. But, yeah, I don't think that he's, uh, I don't think he's in the mix there. The Matt in Toronto asks about the lack of lineup protection Aaron Judge had. Yeah, we teed that up yesterday that it was kind of the B lineup because they had clinched the day before. Maybe there was a little celebrating. Maybe you're getting the extra off day here. But I do think that that's a good reminder that though the Yankees took two of three here and though Aaron Judge kind of dominated the conversation, the Yankees are not that great. Um, they have a really good rotation and a couple good relievers and they have Aaron Judge. For like two months, two months and change now, the non-judge offense has been below league average. So, look, in a five-game series, you don't get the benefit of, even a seven-game series, you don't get the benefit of a large sample, you know, one bad game from your bullpen, one fielding mistake, all that stuff can swing a, a playoff series. But I don't think you go into a series against the Yankees if you get there intimidated at all or thinking that the standings are reflective of, um, you know, the Yankees being a, an order of magnitude better than you. Uh, Joel in New Brunswick says some, some nice things. So first of all, thank you for that. Um, and he says, the more I listen and read about this year's team, the more I have gone to the side of do everything you can to host the wild card. Um, even if it means having Gosman game one, stripling Brios game two, um, if it's at the Rogers Center, if that's what it takes. Again, I'm not I'm not a thousand percent there on Alec Manoa starting game 162. It's just it's really hard for me to wrap my head around a scenario where your best pitcher or your second best pitcher or one B, however you want to frame Gosman and Manoa, doesn't pitch and you get eliminated. Um, the value of home field is real though, especially because it's three games all in one spot. You're in your own bed. You are familiar with everything. Um, if you're a hitter, you know the sight lines, all that stuff. We know that umpires have a slight bias toward home teams subconsciously. Uh, we also know that being the home team gives you some strategic edges if a game goes down to the ninth inning or, or to extra innings. So um, I'm with you that it's important. I think the crowds are going to be awesome. I'm I'm really excited for the playoffs in general. Russ from Burlington also says start Kikuchi in game 162. If it doesn't mean anything, I'm fine with that. But if game 161, if game 161 is a Mitch White slash bullpen day, it's possible you need him there. It's possible you cobble together a, a bunch of that stuff. So um, there's more in the text line that I'm not going to get to. Apologies to that. But thank you um, to everyone for texting in today. Thank you to Jelani Morgan for coming on, to Emily Savard, to Arden Zwelling, to Dan Zimborski. Uh, and thank you, a big, big thank you to J.D. Martinez, giving the Red Sox the victory over the Baltimore Orioles, punching the Jays' ticket to the playoffs officially. Uh, now the focus becomes, can you lock up home field in the wild card? It's 
Ben Ennis next with drive time. No game tonight. Jays Talk Plus back with you three to five tomorrow. Teeing up that Red Sox series. I'm Blake Murphy on Sportsnet 590, The Fan.